Beardy and the Beast Media Club. This is placeholder intro song. Thank you for joining us at the first podcast for Beardy and the Beast, a media club where spoilers are not taboo. We'll not burn spoilers at the stake to keep away the darkness. My name is Drew, and with me, of course, is my dark double, Devin. What's up? We're available on most platforms. Feel free to follow us or rank us in whichever manner you feel appropriate. However, if you like us or our content, please give us a share. Today we'll be discussing the film Silent Hill. This is an adaptation of the video game series of the same name. So, Devin, was Silent Hill a sonorous thrill? (laughs) I really like this movie. I think, I just remember when it first came out, there was such odd things with it's always ranked in like the worst video game movies and well that's wrong in my mind i think it's definitely one of the best out there i i would definitely agree um in fact i believe that you um you and i and a bunch of people who shall not be named uh went and saw this movie originally in theaters yeah that being said even i didn't remember anything going into this film except for the creatures and back to your point, as far as video game movies go, I, I believe this did follow a structure that was quite similar to video games, uh, specifically the Di- Silent Hill series. Yeah. And, and I think I know why. Uh, apparently the director, Christopher Gans, is actually a, a big Silent Hill fan, and he was o- optioning for the rights of Silent Hills for years yeah. until he finally got it. And that kind of brings me to something that I noticed um, when it came to the filming. The angles and the camera choices, I felt they were very reminiscent of the, the video game third-person horror genre, the Resident Evils, the Silent Hills. They were different, definitely in the awkward places they would be if it was in the video game. Yeah. And that definitely lent to that feeling that like this, this is definitely something that's more of an adaptation of that art form yeah yeah i know i agree um it's the shots like uh, as you said pulled straight from the video game you have the 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 drive into silent hill which is very reminiscent of harry's drive-in with cheryl you have uh the gray children in that that the first time you go into the dark and you hear the air raid siren go off right and you just get that weird angle in the corner and it like I Silent Hill games. I've never finished them myself, but like you know, playing those first parts, I'm like that. That is exactly what happens with 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 Harry Mason, right? There's definitely a lot of care into it, and it was very good at capturing the the feel of the game, even to the point of you know things like the fog and the the fog in Silent Hill, um, which of course came from limits in video games at the time. Like this, one of the first fully 3D games, like Resident Evil's pre-rendered backgrounds. Silent Hill tried to do a mix. They said they wanted 3D, so they did it in 3D. And, you know, giving reason to have the draw distance, for lack of a better term, pulled into um, into the movies by giving it the smoky ash. It's a really great touch. Makes it not feel out of place. But captures what the game was trying to do. I definitely agree. And the it's interesting how that style choice was fully a result of the hardware capabilities of the video game and that 
of video game of the time and how it le leans so very well to creating an atmosphere like it did in in the video games and and in this movie this kind of feeling of isolation and the main character uh rose being alone um yeah. and nothing around her and i think i think the camera choices and the sound choices for the most part gave you that kind of anxious feeling that you would feel if you were in that circumstance like they would have rose say in the center of the shot and it would be panned in such a way that you would see like a whole great amount of nothing behind her to show her as um something seemingly small and ins insignificant in this space and there's uh nothing for her there yeah kind of speaking of the sounds i found the first thing i noticed when we were watching this in the opening scene where um rose is looking for sharon yeah. and she's running through that kind of foresty creeked area i realized that there was no music in the background I noticed that a couple times too. Yeah, it was just water. It was the sound of vehicles. And that played significantly out throughout the first, what, two acts of the movie. There wasn't that much music at all. And the sounds that did come through were, they seemed almost developed in such a way that it was sparse. It was uneasy. They were kind of abrasive tones. Yeah. And I think that leans a lot into being in that border between the two worlds, between what I would call the Ash world and the Dark world. Yes. The Ash world, of course, being where things are slightly less terrifying, but definitely still a place that you would not want to be. And then the Dark world, of course, pure terror. Yeah. But it did lead to one thing, the air raid siren, the one to mm. that herald the darkness coming. That was so loud and penetrating. Those sound choices leading up to it were it. I think it ampli amplified that feeling that s there was an emergency coming. That sound, if you were walking through like a nice quiet meadow and then all of a sudden you heard an air raid siren, you'd probably be even more panicked than if you were in the bus a busy city center because oh, there's so much sound, so much going around you. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Um... To, to play on on some of those sound things too, uh, little things that can harken back to the game. It, it was I loved just the little touch of while they were driving to Silent Hill just before you you first see Dark Alessa, you know, and causes a crash. That radio static that was all that's always been a hallmark of Silent Hill, where it's like, what's going on? And then, you know, essentially the monster or well in this case the child just being there and giving that something's off i feel like they really caught um how this like they pulled a lot of that sound aspect from the games again as well fun fact all of the music outside of ring of fire is from the games they just had to be remixed because it was all filmed in canada and to get the grants they needed to have canadian content so they just did remixes of everything from the games and even got like the singer from the games to to do the songs again oh that's really cool yeah leading there's something on the sound side that just really pulled me out the it was mostly in the first two acts before like major beats started occurring in 
situations of movement where there was a journey section going from play point A to point B. For instance, the first one was um, uh, traveling through town to the school and it showed a picture of the map. It right. suddenly went to like an audio track, like a transition song. Mm. It was a simple beat. It had some like hand drums and it just felt so out of place. It pulled me out of the film. Yeah, I can see how that, how that would happen. And I can't, I don't remember how stuff like that was handled in the games well enough to know if that was a, I can't remember clear enough to know if that was maybe a choice around that. Um, and maybe it was just a little bit to have it just a bit more dynamic. Maybe the Shiba Inu in the control center was just bored of a lack of sound, so put in a little <laughs> drum track. Checks out. <laughs> um, uh, to, to anyone unfamiliar with that reference, one of the Silent Hill games, I believe, and I could be wrong, um, there was a secret ending where like, there was an alien control center with like a Shiba Inu um, sitting there like pulling levers and things and they were the big bad of the game just as a f silly thing uh, yeah. easter egg in the video game yeah they had a few different joke endings like that <laughs> um, the ufo endings are always fun <laughs> uh, one thing I, I kind of i know we we're just to talk a little bit more about the the fog world i know we're just to jump back a little bit sorry where you talked about making the worlds um, more open more expansive uh, or but to make her feel isolated. Yes. I, I, and this does come from the games more so. One thing I feel like they, a, a very small point that they missed out on, um, they only kind of showed it with like the, the armless man when, you know, she gets reintroduced, reintroduced to, to Sybil there. Oh, the um, acid spitting uh, creature. Yeah. 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 Um, just the, the games all, because of, again, the technical limitations with the draw distance, you could you wouldn't be able to tell if it was a lamppost or a monster, and I think that part there didn't come through in the movie. But I'm also not sure how you would necessarily make something um, like just kind of those things like a little bit off in the distance. Where is that a monster or is it nothing? See this, um, I I actually I, I agree with you 100% here. This this is a really good point that it was. It was something that was only used once. There wasn't any, like, something in the corner of the eye that, you know, shocked them, something that jumped out. It may have been a choice um, for financial reasons or something, but they did kind of point to it. But they, with the with the acid spitting and uh, Sybil, but it, it was pretty clear that it was kind of a one-off in that circumstance. Oh, I see something in the distance. I don't know what it is. Oh, it's looking really weird. And then I've shot it and danger over. over. Yeah. So they did have that three seconds where they kind of saw it in the distance and went, what is that? Yeah. But as far as like, oh, is that the legs of a spider creature or is that um, some blinds in a window or something? They, yeah. they didn't really go into and there's i think there was a few things they missed in that aspect but you wonder with the, the fact that the director was was a fan of the series and the fact that there was like i saw that there was a few changes that were made by the studio for various reasons which we oh, I'm which sure we'll talk might, about that yeah we'll, we'll talk about that <laughs> for sure 
I'm wondering if it was one of those situations where the original vision was a bit more grandiose. Where they would have more instances like that, something a little bit truer to the game, because I, I actually had this moment that I was thinking when thinking about the sound design and uh, things like the camera angles and the feelings that were being represented from that. Yeah. And I originally thought, was this just a, a decent director who was trying their best to mimic something another piece of media or was it someone who knew of the media knew of the structure liked the source material and was trying to replicate it from that point of view yeah and i couldn't quite decide or decide until like i had looked a little bit more into the film after watching it right um yeah I can see that. I know there are some things that I, I, I couldn't find a source here, but I, I do remember this back when the movie came out where it talked about how he actually had the actors go through the games and actually get an idea of it. So mm-hmm. I, I definitely think this definitely came from, um, in my opinion from it, was um, passion. Like mm. he, he did feel like he, he, loved, he, he loved it and wanted to do the series justice. And I mean, we compare that to, well, not not to go into current films, but there's a lot of films out nowadays where people are like, oh yeah, we love it, but you watch it and it's like, did you even look at the original sources for stuff like this? Oh, the, um, the concept of, uh, oh, we love it and this is why we have to change every single facet of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, like, I mean, you know, some story beat changes, but for the most part, this felt like the game it didn't feel like a cash grab it felt like no i want to do it i mean revelations on the other hand feels exactly like a video game movie um from what i remember <laughs> the um yeah so as far as far as silent hill versus silent hill revelations don't really want to get too much into revelation because chances are we'll do a follow-up of the yeah. uh situation that is Silent Hill yeah. Re- Revelations. What I can tell you is different writer, different director. And yeah. something that I kind of quietly alluded to before we started recording today is I was looking at Christopher Gann's uh, upcoming upcoming projects, and they include Untitled Silent Hill movie pre-production. Oh, sh- Yeah, so chances oh. are we might actually get... This is what I'm hoping... Like, I haven't seen any interviews from Christopher Gans as far as the original Silent Hill movie. And I do have some problems with the original, which we'll, of course, discuss. I'm hoping, and this is just me throwing out hypotheticals and projecting what I see usually in these situations, is I'm hoping Christopher is going to be able to make the Silent Hill movie that he originally wanted to. Mm, Yes. Um, Because we have better graphics, uh, better um, design. We will have more to pull from. And, I mean, video game and comic book movies are just big business now. So back in 2006, like, you you could barely make an X-Men movie, let alone a video game movie. Yeah. And, I mean, I know I'm discounting the Resident Evil movies where each Resident Evil movie made more money than the last one, even though, like, I'm the only person who's seen all, like, seven I, I mean, like, not not to go too much into comparing those ones. And yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, they're they're even different genres. Yeah, they're their own thing. 
like the movies didn't try to be the games and that's fine <laughs> they went their own way i fully love that i know a, a little bit of the that is awesome to hear that i'd love to see him do more silent hill um and i mean again coming from like the the, the bits i was looking up on the production of this here like i know the ending was changed due to budgetary reasons which i'm going to talk about a little bit more when, um oh, for sure. later when i want to talk about pyramid head some but like when they looked at the script it's like this could have easily been the three and a half hour movie yeah right and apparently like he he had to make some minor like there were some minor changes in it like i said the ending is slightly different because of budgetary reasons the armless acid spitter guy was supposed to have another spot but like the dancer was sick mm -hmm. so they had to cancel that scene which is kind of neat you no know? yeah let's you know what let's let's talk about the monsters a little bit oh, or yeah. so silent hill or how to put a dancer in a flesh-colored bag and make them writhe around <laughs> thank you for coming to my ted talk um <laughs> so the a lot of the unnatural movements of the creatures in this game are just that they put a dancer in a flesh-colored bag or got him into the you know the devil's yoga pose yeah. and made him do things and that's why it led so well into their unnatural movements oh they, they did so many cool things with it yeah so all of the monsters i mean other than like some of the effects like on the gray children stuff like that it's practical right they they added some after effects to give like the embery look mm. i think and you know made sure they used dancers so they could get these unnatural movements and you get such cool things like um the way they do the nurses later in the film what they did was they recorded these dancers walking backwards mm. and then were first that footage oh yeah i i could you know what just kind of picturing it back i could see that because it was so jerky and awkward that aside from doing something where you would like speed up and slow down the film, yeah. the most practical way would be just that have them yeah. do it backwards and then reverse it. Yeah. And, and it just gives it, so it's like, you know, they're moving. If this was any other movie, I was thinking it's like what they do, like stop motion marionettes mm. <laughs> almost like it gave that just that weird jerky feeling. And it was just, really pulls you in and and it, again these movements from these dancers and i'm fairly well versed in the dance world um thanks to my brother yeah um, but you know you get these unnatural movements and um being able to do them practically like that it, no cgi would would do that and that's what they do nowadays like they would they would have had those nurses all cgi'd and done some weird oh yeah like weird. we only need five times the budget and you know 10 times the amount of time or you can just get a, a dancer make them do it backwards and all of a sudden you've got something that looks better on film yeah absolutely and and it it, it just because it's all practical all that naturally it adds to the horror and i mean i'd like to point out horror movie no jump scares Mm. yeah everything was pent even the first um 
suited coal miner when you were unsure mm-hmm. if it was a creature or if it was a man. He was crucified during the Ember Children in the May scene. Even that was a slow pan, and the f- the fright that you get from that was actually a setup, and that was the panicked coal miner's eyes. Yeah. And then the creature started crawling out of the darkness. The and I think that that kind of harkens back to the sound design, the uneasiness, having things not happen on a uh, like on a structured, you know, four by four like musical beat or anything like yeah. that. I don't want to be the nitpicky guy, but there was another point that I was disappointed in, and it was the creatures. And this might be the video game guy in me. As you know, I've played one or two video games in my past. <laughs> <laughs> In the video games, the creatures of the world always harken back to the environment or the characters in play. Mm-hmm. And it only seemed that, except for the smaller ones, say the, the um, would you call them the Ember Children? In um, the May scene? I think they're. I think those ones are the Grey Children. Grey Children and yeah. the Armless Men. Those are more generic. But when we're talking about um, the dancers calling the janitor and pyramid head there's only one of these that represented the sins or the issues or problems of the characters and that was calling the janitor whereas the the nurses and pyramid head were more calls to the game franchise and what i mean by that is for instance in a video in one of the video games the main character has these huge issues with his fathers one of the creatures is like you know, the flayed upside down body of his father or um, the nurses, I believe, were originally the main character. His wife was sick, but he was going after the nurses and trying to hit on them. OK, so I think I see where you're going with this. I am going to to disagree with you a bit on this one here, with one exception, um, Pyramid Head. Mm. I'll talk about him afterwards, but I might have that kind of worked out in my head now so you're so you're right um uh, the silent hill games are known for the everything is symbolic mm-hmm. and generally tied to the main character of the game um so representations you said of their guilt or of their sin or of just whatever mental state they're in the first silent hill it's a less's world mm-hmm. it's not roses so in Silent Hill 2, where it's um, I can James, James, yeah, James in, in Silent Hill 2. All the monsters about him in Silent Hill 1. These were all the things that were haunting Alessa. So the Grey Children burning. Mm-hmm. Colin, right? Colin tied to um, you know, very heavily implied that she was assaulted by him. Yeah, I'd like I'd like um, to jump in real quick before you continue. Is I, though I'm stating I'm having some problems with the creatures. I think Colin was so spectacularly done. It yes. was quite quite obvious they were alluding to an assault of um, uh, Alessa by Colin the janitor, and it was so well represented by the creature that Colin yeah. became, so well that the touch of um, Colin on the walls would cause it to rot and for. Mm these dead uh, man face insects to come out like yeah. that's how poison his touch is yeah but i mean 
I'd like to hear your thoughts on specifically the nurses and pyramid head. And I think that's where you were going. Yeah. So the nurses, again, we've got to remember, this is tied to, to Alessa's thoughts. So after, you know, she's in the hospital, all she's around is these nurses gawking at her essentially. Mm. Right. And you see that with Lisa, right. That they, they're the only thing left in her world that's there. And she would see them. Like I, I could see her still seeing them as harmful because, and they're just gawking. I mean, when you're burned like that, everything's going to hurt. Right. Yep. So it, 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 I think they became more of a target from that and were respond from, from where she come, like where she's from the pyramid on the other hand, up until rewatching the film last night, I'm completely against Pyramid Head being. I was completely against Pyramid Head being in the film. Oh, same. Pyramid Head, um, for those not familiar with the games, he's always represented guilt. He comes after the guilty. So, you know, I, I'm gonna, gonna, I almost managed to make this work in my in my head as I was thinking a little bit about it more. Well, he did. He did. He did come after came after anna he did come after colin janitor you you might have it it was kind of in the corner of the eye um you probably caught it if um anyone listening when pyramid head came out of the school into the courtyard he was actually dragging colin yes um and you only see it for a half second he dropped him and exactly supposed to represent guilt but why was he um going after rose and um why was he going after sybil i i just i couldn't i couldn't piece that i couldn't piece that together like i i saw the same connection as you when it came to the nurses but i thought it would have been more appropriate if they were more reminiscent reminiscent of lisa the Mm -hmm. The nurse who did like directly gawk at her yeah so thematically from their design that was just like oh we got the nurses from the video game and we yeah. tied them in i mean pyramid head is the staple of the video game series though so there is a lot of like fan service there it's just i mean how, how are you going to give the motivations of a seven foot tall silent person carrying a butcher's knife that's like five feet long like his cloud sword looks small yeah <laughs> so so i i'm playing with this i'm not convinced on this lay it on me lay it on me all right i don't think pyramid head was going after rose i think he was going after sybil mm. and it's because of a, a couple of throwaway lines. So, so there's a couple of lines that happen beforehand and one line afterwards that throws me off, that kind of breaks off from this. Okay. You got to remember, Sybil's motivation for being here is several years before Rose is taking Sharon to Silent Hill, mm, someone the... else did this and, and, you know, the, and put this kid in danger by throwing him into the mines. Sybil was the cop who was there for that kid. So, at first, I thought that maybe he was coming after her because she felt guilty for not saving the kid. But that got broken by one of the other big things that I know we're going to be talking about, 
in the in the essentially added scenes, the cop says that he, she saved him. And if they didn't say that, I would have been able to justify Pyramid Head. Self guilt. Well, that's yeah. what I was kind of. Tr- well, you were discussing the guilt thing because that's actually a little factoid I did not know at all. I was wondering. I was. It was rotating in my head. And it's like, what would Rose be guilty of? Yeah. Like guilt isn't part of her character design as far as motivations in this series goes. Yeah. So the the creature that creature going after her, but I noticed that when it had the option of Rose or Anna, mm-hmm. it went after Anna. Yeah. That that being said, like good on it. Anna was a little something oh, yeah. or other. Oh, interesting thing about Anna mm. is Again, didn't realize this until after um, reading some of the stuff on uh, TV tropes about this. I think it was TV tropes about this. Anna, of all the people, is the least guilty. Hmm. And the reason why is she's the only known character to have been born in the Ash World. She's literally a product of of everything around her. I, I could see the way they would get away with that thematically by um, because everything is what it, the, this character, uh, Alessa, was the product of mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. So they could get away with that by saying Anna is a product of guilt. Yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. And she did yeah. embody it like wholeheartedly oh. within her character. She was a product of the environment she was brought up in, which I mean... Yeah. If I were to step back from a real world point of view and not just the movie point of view, if if you were born under an ultra religious sect in an ash world that turns to darkness where creatures roam, and the what seems to banish the darkness is praying, yeah. like you're gonna wholeheartedly start doing that. There's nothing oh, yeah. about that that like so she didn't have a choice she's not going to reject yeah. reject that yeah it, it, it's no way it was no way a defense of anna mm. just more of an interesting interesting case and i mean again from alessa's side she doesn't give a f- and if silent hill is alessa's world that doesn't matter so yeah like the 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 end of the, of the guilt is it's speculation on sybil's part yeah. but it it, it it mostly fits, so I'm I'm willing to accept that, knowing how convoluted some of the symbolism gets in these games. <laughs> well, there there is a rumored alternative director's cut that's only available in Canada of this film. Mm-hmm. It is rumored, though, and I mean it's been 14 years. So yeah. if you if you can't find it in the dark, shady places of the internet or in the you know uh uh use dvd bin you're not gonna find it yeah well okay so um i noted that as well like i found out that of the rumored cut afterwards but i I know you said you don't remember the film very much Mm. um from before rewatching it but there were some things was like i like i remembered it a bit differently but i mean again it's been a decade since I've watched the film. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that could literally just be misremembering. But we're in Canada. We saw it in the theaters. So it's actually not, 
it's very possible that stuff that I'm remembering actually was there. Like mm. I, I remember the church scene being a little bit longer than it was, not by much. And the extended version's only, I think, 10 minutes longer than what was actually released, I think. So little scenes here or there could could have been there and I could have that cultural memory, but Yeah. And then distribution just would have never released the the DVD versions. Thinking about the church scene, of course, we need to bring up Sharon uh, Dark Alessa, the darkness, and the uh, true Alessa, the burn victim. Um, Sharon, of course, being the last remaining goodness um, that was within Alessa. The dark double Alessa being the representation of the darkness or the devil or a demon. It's never clearly said in the video games or the movie which i like yeah and then of course the 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 design of alessa i mean i know she's human but you could also consider her a creature Mm. and i i really i really liked this the burn victim alessa in the hospital bed with the barbed wire like almost spider legs like uh, not even spider legs vines yeah like they really made it seem tried to seem like the um barbed wire were tendrils or tentacles that were coming out of this uh creature yeah i i really appreciate the design and this kind of harkens back to what you were mentioning earlier with the ending that is the pyramid head the the way that they changed the final scene, I believe the original final scene was supposed to be a bunch of pyramid heads coming in and just massacring everyone. I'm actually glad that they didn't go with that. I think that would have been over the top and campy. The inclusion of one pyramid head mm-hmm. in that final scene would have been good. Perhaps like standing in front of the door of giving them the choice barbed wire tentacle demon or pyramid head like which one will you die by yeah would have been okay i'm glad that the budgetary concerns made them go the way that they did because that's so much more terrifying for the people in that church yeah i i definitely agree that i I love i love the way that that ended i i it was such an amazing visual you know, having the pure uh, Christabella getting, you know, well, uh, torn into, yeah, <laughs> impaled with some barbed wire. Uh, like it was, it was definitely very fitting. Um, I, I, you know what? I didn't like that. No, I, the purpose of the darkness and even coming into the church was purely revenge. I think it would have been more conclusive if she had been slowly burned somehow much like the torture she she did on alessa and sybil which which by the way i need to bring this up i had forgotten about the sybil ladder scene and it actually had haunted me for years like i would close my eyes occasionally and see that and it's your fault that it's in my head again (laughs) (laughs) that's your fault you're the jerk that (laughs) it Um, is so well done and the fact that she just to sidetrack slightly the fact that she cared so much about 
um, Sharon, and you know she has a strong through line of caring about kids. Mm. Entire thing, and the fact that she silently takes it and says, "Don't worry, your mom's coming." They, they, like, she, it's haunting. she had, uh, she had the most complex and direct motivations. Mm. Like, if we were to switch beat, let's talk about the characters for a bit. Rose yeah. was definitely your taken one note character who did the thing I hate the most in films, okay. which is the entire movie could have been could have been avoided if she had just listened to someone tell her not do something. And that is, don't go to Silent Hill. Oh, you didn't go to Silent Hill. None of that mm -hmm. would have happened. But I'm, it's. It's something I originally noticed in the movie, This Is How I Live Now, which is one of two movies I've ever actually turned off and didn't finish. Mm. But I get her character is developed so much that she had to see that through. I will yeah. give her that. But I think Sybil, she, she was definitely the most conclusive character to me. Her motivation stayed, stayed true from the original boy that she rescued. Even the whole, like... My mom doesn't let me, or sorry, I, I'm not supposed to, to talk, talk to strangers, and that she goes, good girl. Yeah. Like, the reason she, she was even chasing Rose in the beginning was because of the kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, for sure. And I think one of the earlier drafts that I that I found out about here um, was supposed to have Rose there more accidentally. Mm-hmm. Right, she she was going for like I think for some like spirit healing because oh the faith healer her. yeah the faith healer right yeah so but I think people do irrational things for their children she thinks it'll help even though you know clearly it was the wrong choice let um, let me let me put out a public service announcement here if if your child is having panic inducing night terror. Uh, sleepwalking dreams and screaming the name of a town it's probably not a good idea to take your kid to that town <laughs> especially when a quick google search shows it's on fire <laughs> yeah i agree though you will do irrational things for your kids 100 percent throughout time throughout history it's i i, I didn't i didn't mind rose so much i did have a problem with christopher Sean oh, and the reason why is his motivations didn't make sense and this this is a post-production thing that happened and this is which is the answer to what i'm about to say but christopher how they were trying to portray him and his motivations and his actions did not equal it originally seemed like they were trying to set him up to be a callous man who cared about money mostly mm. that was the feeling i was getting it had to do with how they lived him in his suit business suit um him cutting off the credit cards things like this financially but then all his actions after that seemed to me more like indeed he loves his wife he loves his adopted daughter and he's going to do everything that he's capable of as a person of doing yeah, yeah. Like, he, he even went to Silent Hill and looked around the entire place with the police officer. Yeah. But I found out um, after, after one of the first drafts when they took it into the studio, 
there was actually no male characters in this film. It was a full female cast. But the studio went, no, we need a dude in there. Yeah. And that's why uh, Christopher was written into it. And I think that's why his, he's in, he seems like an aberration. He doesn't have clear motivations or a clear purpose. Aside from them giving him a couple story beats or backstory beats. Yeah. So we go from the backstory beats that are sl- being sloppily given to Christopher to the foreshadowing beats that are Dahlia. Mm. Dahlia, the walking foreshadow. Everything she said was foreshadowing to something, and I felt like it was being slapped in the face a little bit with foreshadowing. Yeah, um, that, like the one I actually had a point around Dahlia, and I, I want to go back to yeah to Chris' scenes here in a second, but just the Dahlia point I had that was very quick. It was the very, the very clear. It's mine when Rose shows her when she sees the um, pendant with Sharon's picture in it. Mm. Like, and, and and you're right, it, it was foreshadowing enough that I, I ended up watching it with with my mom, and she's like, "Oh, that's her kid." So like like when I think they were trying to say, "Oh no, it's the pendant," right? Trying to make her the a golem type character almost. Yeah. Um. Right. Um. But yeah, they it, they beat it a little bit too much and. Dahlia's character, again, was very different in the game. Dahlia's character was essentially, even though it was um, uh, Cheryl's mother in the game, um, Cheryl being the Sharon um, counterpart, um, she was also the one who burned her or or killed her in the game. Mm. I I understand Dahlia a bit, and we might get into this a little bit later, but um, this game feels this game or this game, this movie. <laughs> this movie. That's a good time. That's why you yeah. say it's a good game movie. <laughs> um, well, that's also its biggest problem because this this movie feels like it was written as a game and then adapted adapted. Um, so it really does come off with the dialogue. And expression choices you would expect in a um, early two thousands, um, like translated game. Yeah. Um, the even the word choices, the way that it was expressed, like it could be, it could have been a visual novel that was released, an interactive visual novel video game yeah. that was released. And I think if you think of it in that context, the fact that you're getting all your foreshadowing beats. Um, from a char- from one specific character makes a whole lot more sense because that's yeah. kind of a trope that you'll say see sometimes a fortune teller i guess you would say yeah well i, I think there's a couple other things about it I, th- I think there's another reason why it makes sense to become from dahlia though mm. um okay. all of what's so dahlia is a foil to rose mm. they're both other to the same character dahlia's already gone through this and she messed up, right? By by directly leading to Alessa's Alessa's burning. Yeah. Right? And she doesn't go for help until too late. Until after they have her. Uh... Right? So it's not foreshadowing. It's this has happened to her. And Rose's, and of course that foils Rose's active. No, I'm doing this. I don't need anyone else to help me do this. I Right? So... 
I think that's a big reason why it actually came from her as well. And you also need to keep the world fairly sparse mm. because that's Silent Hill. Yeah. Right? So that's a really good point actually. I didn't think of it in that way. Um the the repeating um the concept of a, a re repeating story and preventing it from being repeated. Um, like even to the point where um, Dahlia in her um, hovel apartment um, trying her best to protect Sharon mm -hmm. um, from the coal miners. Hmm. So what... what what were you going to say about Christopher, our, All right. our, our stunningly handsome Sean Bean? So, I think, um, like, again, even the, from what I heard, because, I mean, he was shoehorned in. Yeah. Um, and didn't need to be there. Apparently, he was supposed to be there at the very beginning and at the very end. I think a lot of the problems that we've actually talked about throughout this actually comes from that executive meddling around there mm. and it honestly would have been solved because i like i know um gans moved away from having it being harry mason to rose because he felt he wanted to see the story with with the mother doing it instead i prefer it, it. it felt more natural to him i prefer it too um but because they wanted to throw that in so he's there as an analog to harry mason without actually being Harry Mason. And all of the problems that I've brought up, that, that we've kind of brought up, come from these scenes. Um, um, I talked about the Pyramid Head actually possibly being a representation of Sybil's guilt. And the only reason that I had to cross that off while I was taking my notes watching this was because afterwards, when he's talking to the other cop, he says, oh, she saved him. Mm. That's the first time we know that he was saved. Um, you, we talk about um, why the hell did you take your child to this town that she's calling out to? Well, the only reason that we knew that the town would have been dangerous is because of the scenes where Harry or where Christopher is Googling, searching it afterwards. Oh, the town's on fire. Why would you bring them to this dangerous town? We wouldn't have known that if those scenes weren't there. Well, then they, they could have just had... Um like Sybil explain it like a throwaway line um or like um the whole like no one goes there because of the coal coal fire could have been a line given to Rose by the diner the lady at yeah. the diner like or, or did it even need to really be there like does the the only reason there's an issue to taking her to this ghost town is because it's a dangerous place to go if if they just say no no one goes there anymore or anything like that, without even adding and just implying that the town's on fire because of the ash and everything. Leave it leave it implicit instead of explicitly saying it. It completely gets rid of that issue you're saying about why did you take your kid to this dangerous place? Because she wouldn't have known it was a dangerous place when she Googled it. If yeah, they, we didn't see her Googling it. They could have uh, cut, cut out Christopher completely if they just had um, Rose have... Like, I'm not trying to rewrite this story, and of course I'm, I would never, like, tell them that they should. But I would have just had some visions or flashbacks 
that Rose would have when she goes to locations that were important to Alessa. Mm-hmm. So like sees a uh, pervert call in the, the janitor who got off lightly in my opinion. Um, I've seen, I guess um, the Ash children who are probably the children who taunted um, Alessa and called yeah. her a witch. Um, If we should probably we should probably talk about Sharon slash Alessa, the the juxtaposing the two characters, and the third thing in this movie that pushed me out of the world. Uh, Jadel Ferland did such an amazing job um, as a child actress when it came to Alessa. Mm-hmm. When it came to Sharon, it was not well done in my part. And I think that might have been the writing. And I'm very surprised at some of the writing choices, considering this writer, um, Roger Avery, is also known for having worked on Pulp Fiction. Um, But I felt like nine-year-old Sharon was written like a six-year-old. Yeah. And uh, Dark Alessa and the original Alessa were more age-appropriate. Um, Dark Alessa, of course, being, you know, your ancient all-knowing evil. Yeah. Um, and I was I was blown away by the hell from the actress that had tilt choices. The mm-hmm. um she made it very obvious in her acting that she was a ancient evil playing a little girl. Yeah. But I kept just getting pulled out every time it was sharing. It was like, oh, mommy this, mommy that, mommy this. And I'm like... I actually... I I didn't give... I didn't give a hoot about Sharon. But but Alessa, I was like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, and, And I agree. I think... So I can kind of just it a little bit i mean clearly she's you know sharon is a troubled girl you know what to fully interrupt i just realized it what it probably is um it could have been the director just being saying act more innocent but the story beat that they were saying that sharon is the creation the the, all that is good that was left in alessa created sharon Yeah. yeah and that's why she comes off seeming so innocent but i think i think the writing yeah the writing for sharon like it didn't do justice to jadelle's acting ability at that age and i i usually don't like child actors but she was quite good in the other two of three roles that she had yeah oh for sure um i i of course it's one of the things that i didn't note down um and i meant to um one of the actresses, uh, it might have been Dahlia's character, I can't remember if it was Dahlia's or Rose's actress, but they were so impressed with um, with Fer- Fairland's ability to switch between these three that like instantly, like, you're my favorite actress. <laughs> Just from that. And, I mean, you're, you're right, Sharon is... Sharon's a plot device, 
and she was a plot device in the game to begin with, essentially, right? Um, the character of Alessa and Dark Alessa are definitely the more prominent ones. Mm. And, I mean, it sends chills. The very first time you see Dark Alessa, and I, I almost missed it. Like when you, because you see Dark Alessa right at the beginning of the film. Yeah. And and just that, like as you said, that head tilt and slasher smile. Yeah. Um, or I mean, a scene that has always stuck with me was the "I'm burning," and it's just like it's haunting. Um, complete side note, but connected to to Fairland, um, that I found interesting is she's the voice of the little sisters in uh, Bioshock and Bioshock Two. Oh yeah, I can yeah. <laughs> Hundred percent. Yeah, that she she definitely had the the uneasiness there. Yeah. Um. It's it's interesting to me the writing choices, like the dialogue. I mentioned earlier that I felt it was very reminiscent of early two thousands uh, translated video games, specifically in the third person horror genre. And I mean that to sound unnatural. Yeah. As in, I didn't enjoy it so much, and I don't remember noting this in my original viewing years and years ago, but um, it's a type of dialogue style that you would expect in a video game. And what I mean by that is you have some dialogue and then no dialogue for like a half hour. And then you have some dialogue, and then no dialogue for a half hour. I mean, we're not talking so bad as to be press X to Sean. Yeah. But we... I am talking about, like... I'm not sure if it was delivery or directing urging or the way it was written, but there was something unnatural about it to me that seemed very um table read okay less less intense less involved um that being said i don't generally get into analyzing acting itself because it's uh something i am very i am not equipped to do it is a skill that i am very far from having um, so I'm probably one of the last people who should analyze it, but I just like when you're when we're talking Rose and Sybil, it has to be the dialogue cho- cha- choices. To be honest, when we're talking um, Rose, Rose goes back to the vehicle. Um, yeah. Sybil catches her, uh, cuffs her. They meet the acid spitter. That entire conversation, like you would expect that to experience that in a corny video game. Um, and I'm not thinking it's the delivery. I think it's the word choices in the script. I really am. Yeah. So I guess there, there's a, a couple things around this. So, I mean, we, I, I definitely see where you're coming from with that. It, it, it does feel very video gamey. Um, but it's one of those things where Silent Hill, when it's not fucking terrifying, it's understated. It's mm. psychological. So how much of that is, is coming from the fact that 
they are just they are trying to be where it is a bit understated we, we you talk about with um when when sybil and, and rose meets up and runs the armless man the first time it's like no the only thing she cares about is like no you're fucking under arrest that's it <laughs> right so no there's no room for conversation in that because the the places where the stuff comes out it's the fanatics who are crazy and let's face it are a bit unnatural as I said anna knows nothing other than this world right so it's gonna be that way so it comes across a bit hammy but i wouldn't say i, I would say it's better than a lot of the horror schlock that gets out there well right? i mean you know, video game movies just looking at it from from horror but I, I definitely see what you're saying um i don't think it I don't think I had that same reaction with mm. you, but I can see see where it's coming from. I think it's understated um, to be able to have dialogue building more and such. Again, just going from the writing side, you have to take away from the isolation that's supposed to be there as well, because that means you would have to be having more interactions, more conversations around it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that that is why you kind of get that talk and then talk and then move on to the next point and explore the world as, as it were so well, i'm just all i'm saying i mean like i'm not expecting you know daniel day lewis to be the next pyramid head but like <laughs> there's if if silent hill the movie here was made into a silent hill video game it would be a perfect silent hill video game yes um but as far as my considerations go, and you know this about me, um, I first read it as the genre that it's supposed to be in. In this case, yeah. I rate it in um, a video game adaptation, in yeah. which I think this one did very well. And then I rate it as an overall movie for someone who um, is interested in the movie, but may not have experienced the overall genre. And I think that's where it's falling for me. But that being said, it was just a, it was a few beats, it was a few things like Dahlia, in my mind, uh, Dahlia and Christabella were probably mm. the best combo. Um, they didn't interact much uh, together, that's not what I mean, but what yeah. I mean is the actresses themselves, like, I believed Dahlia was feeling overwhelming guilt and rage at what had uh, happened to her daughter uh, Alessa yeah. and I believe that Christabella was a fanatic and the leader of this cultish uh, religious sect um, um, apparently um, Alice, uh, Alice how do you think it's pronounced who played Christabella mm -hmm. she was so commanding in that role that even offstage the actors were we're following her oh really like actually yeah, falling yeah. in line behind her yeah <laughs> i could see that because like um like i would expect some of the the word choices from allison in the movie because it's they seem more applicable to her character um if i were to step back though rose there was a few occurrences that i just thought were so perfect there was two times in the movie that i remember that 
Rose shut down from just pure fear. fear. Mm. Like, she was so overwhelmed she could not move, and she had to command herself to do so, to actually get up and be functional. And I thought that was handled so well, I believed it. Yeah. like, Like, I've been in those situations where I've been very injured, and it's like, all right, I need to do something about this, and I have to command my body to do something. Yeah. So I could see that um in those moments so i i don't i don't want to come off as if i'm harshing on the actors and actresses um because yeah. in fact most of them are the scenes that they shined in we're talking uh rose in those circumstances we're talking sybil on the ladder mm. um we're talking uh Jadel furland as dark alessa yeah. <laughs> um but not sharon because that that role could not make her shine. I'm sorry. With, um, with one exception, the very end when Sharon and Alessa are combined, just that look that she gives as mm. they're leaving the church, uh, glances at uh, at Dahlia. That was that was amazing. <laughs> well, we might have watched different cuts. Hmm. I don't think I. I don't. I don't think I saw that. It is such a minor thing. Um, like it, it's just like a small glance, but it, it's just that enough to show that. Oh, did she? She did a little head Sharon. tilt. Yeah, where it's not just Sharon anymore, but technically is. <laughs> mm. It's that letting the Alessa shine through Sharon, which actually could go back to what you were saying about. No, Sharon was just supposed to be the that innocent, and that's how they did it. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um. Um. I guess one thing that could happen, like just um, a lot of the stilted bits that you talked about and um, could just be we haven't gone into other ones around it, was around Sybil and Rose, his interactions. Mm. Um, So I actually did, um, looking into some of the production history about it, apparently the two actresses, um, um, Mitchell and Holden, were very different in how they in their acting methods oh. that it actually caused issue some issues with them filming so i'm wondering if that it could just be a little bit of bleed through from the production side that's just coming cl- through there yeah clash i could see clashing methods like not everyone is you know lemon face ooh lion face or yeah a lot a lot of these people like if someone can just switch it on and off versus someone who has to method that yeah. has been known for many other movies to cause problems. Yeah. Yeah. So all I can say is, you know, uh, Christoph Gans, uh, Daniel day Lewis's pyramid head, make it happen. <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I can't, I can't under understate as far as, as far as uh, Dahlia and Christabella go, um, I really can't understate how much I appreciate what they were able to do with their roles. Um, mm-hmm. Some people might think they're over the top, maybe. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to get back into foreshadowing. Like we kind of, I was kind of touching base on it earlier um, with Dahlia. Your point made a lot of sense. Um, but what I do want to talk about is overall the foreshadowing in the film. Right. It was just so in your face. And so for a film that is supposed to be half video game movie, half psychological thriller, it seemed to be 
only three quarters of each or half of each like um it was almost as if they were like sprinkling a bit of this and a bit of uh from column a a little bit of column b and we'll have a whole movie instead of trying to go in all in on both the only you might not have seen this film but there was a korean monster film called the host okay and this this film had a more extreme version of what i'm saying is it couldn't decide if it was a comedy movie or if it was a horror movie. Mm. And it would jump in between them so quickly um, that it was hard for me to get into. How that applies to Silent Hill is the foreshadowing choices made it painfully obvious what had happened before it was revealed. If I... I knew, like, I even remember this from watching it the first time, that I knew that uh, there was a girl who looked just like Alessa. She was burned as a witch, um, caused this entire circumstance, and the entire thing was about revenge. Um, like, halfway through the film. And that's because it. the choices I like to see are... They walk down a hallway and there's disturbing paintings of burning witches. But in um, Silent Hill, they all looked at for like 30 seconds and talked about this painting of a burning witch. The, um, the repeated calls to things like um, burning and sin and witch, it just... It was laid so plainly to you that though this worked as a video game movie, it seemed to fail on the other aspect, which would be its its point, which is the psychological thriller side. So, I, I, I see where you're coming from, Yeah, but I... I disagree for the most part. Okay. Um, I think, I think let's instead of calling it psychological thriller, psychological horror. Mm. Didn't have the thrills, right? And and we've already talked about where the horror was oppressive. Like it, the town felt oppressive. You could feel what Rose was feeling when she froze up and such like that. Um, it was a little heavy-handed, but that's because we're dealing with zealots. Mm. Zealots are heavy-handed. Of course, they're talking about burning the witches because that's all they do. Regular. <laughs> well, it's just it's just uh, that you you knew that they did that before they were even introduced, or there was a flashback scene. Well, or it could be I, me just being, you know, like super smart. Drew knows everything and talks big about himself all the time, like. But foreshadowing in this movie is obvious because we're familiar with the games. Mm. We knew what the plot points were. So, of course, we could see the foreshadowing because we knew that Sharon was Alessa. Because we knew from the games that Cheryl was Alessa. That game, gamer smarts. It's the gamer smarts that, that, that <laughs> kicks in there. Oh, I hope that doesn't become a thing. 
gamer spirits. <laughs> that is the dumbest thing I've ever seen said. Um, that is a hundred percent. I take I take it back. If if someone if anyone's listening to this and you didn't see that coming, Devin is a hundred percent. You're not dumb. It's just because I understand the genre and where it's coming from and the source material. Hundred yeah. percent. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, we knew that that was happening. We knew the town was like that, right? Whereas I'm, I'm sure someone coming out of it, they're just going, it's like, okay, these are just people surviving. Yeah, they're a bit crazy. But let's face it, there's some demon shit going on. So is it surprising that they're worried about witches and demons? <laughs> right? Um, oh, literally, totally. that's the world we see. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think that's why it, it feels a bit heavy-handed because it's a story that we're familiar with. It, it, it's no different than if you know you're, you're watching Harry Potter and you're familiar with the books, you're going to be able to go, "Yeah, of course that's leading up to this. This is why mm. you know whatever's happening because you know, right? Um, it, it it it's hard to say because we went into it with that foreknowledge." Is it the foreshadowing was heavy-handed, or, you know, a, a fresh movie, you'd have to watch it a second time to see how the foreshadowing is. So, just because we talked about comedy horror, Shaun of the Dead, mm. right? Shaun of the Dead, they literally spell out the plot at the beginning of the film. Right? And I, did, I didn't catch that on the first watch. Exactly, because we weren't familiar with it. Yeah, it wasn't right? until that second watch that I went, oh my god, in the first... Five minutes of the film, they told me exactly what was going to happen. Exactly. Okay. So it, 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 it's it's hard to say. Like I mean, I think when when we talk about the foreshadowing, um, is like I mentioned earlier with Dahlia going, "It's mine," right? Yeah, sure. Mom picked up on the fact that oh, I think she's talking about the kid. I think she thinks the kid is hers. Mm. And knowing that the kid's adopted, that is even a logical thing to go right yeah so you could be going okay this is the mother or you're going you know if you're not quite paying attention to that you go as i said the golem thing with oh it's the pendant that she's after yeah i don't i don't think many people would pick the golem thing i think it was so heavy-handed that they would draw i think the assumption that the average viewer on a first watch who's not familiar with the source material they would come into that and they would be like they would think that Dahlia is the biological mother of Sharon and that um, Rose was the adopted mother Um, which I mean I wouldn't call that misdirection but like parallel direction it's similar enough to the plot and then that gets expanded upon that's a yeah. very good point, I think. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, just trying to think other things like, and, and you're right, there was again that, that bit of gaminess to a lot of the foreshadowing. Um, I, 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 a couple of things I noted right off the bat when I was watching the film, it's, they actually made it clear that it was going to be religious mm. right at the beginning. Because when she saves Alessa, you know, there's the big cross lit up in the background. I, um, I actually, um, 
I, I, I'm really glad you brought that up because I forgot that because what I had done was um, I had started the movie and just as he, she was about to save Alessa from jumping into the, uh, the water hole or whatever it was, yeah. um, I actually stopped the film to go grab my notebook and then I watched that scene again and I, it wasn't until that second time that I saw the cross in the background. Yeah. And then the other iconic icons and things that they were showing, like prov proverbs from Revelations on billboards and things, those were um, more straightforward. Um, but I, I like to see that stuff in the background, like that cross. That's the kind of things that I like yeah. to see. Yeah. No, I like that. I, I thought it was a, a really great touch, and it, I think it goes back to again that foreshadowing, where I think it'd be very easy to take that image and go. Oh yeah, no, the mother's the savior <laughs> type thing. Right? But then you go and realize it's like, no, this is a religious hellhole. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you got the demons walking around and everything. <laughs> um so so it's tied it, it it tied to that in that way. Um other little things just kind of like that that cross that I saw that was interesting nods and interesting symbols to see um little things like the graffiti mm. just before she saves them there um cheryl is written there which of course is we've said a few times is uh sharon's analog in the games yeah um and um just little things like one of the this town the city or the the stores in the downtown was m.t.rooms oh empty rooms yeah <laughs> and it, it's like I like that. It's just those little subtle things that that are there that that add to it. Um, I think, yeah, the I think the gaminess of the of the imagery is that it's that mix. I actually think they did some of it well because the paintings in the games were or the drawings in the games were also Harry's um, way to know where to go next. Mm -hmm. um, I think neat kind of seeing the the drawings and then you know see them change you know the one being the school the one being the the church and actually kind of or again just Alessa with her or Sharon with her friends turning to Alessa and all of the the demons I actually thought I actually liked those those little bits as both callbacks to the games and as a narrative device showing what's going on um, in the world so. Yeah, like, I, I've often said this is probably the best video game movie that's come out um, for it being a a movie adaptation of a video game and give you that feeling. Yeah. Um, as far as, I wouldn't give it the best movie from a video game. No. <laughs> um, I, I do enjoy this film, but... The enjoyment that I get from it is specific to the fact that I like the source material, those callbacks, and that's what allows me to give enjoyment to it. I could see your average viewer, um, someone who's not familiar with the um, like early 2000s third-person horror genre, uh, not enjoying it. 
And I understand why was it Ebert gave, not that I ever actually agree with critics, but I understand why Ebert would have given it like one and a half stars or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, I disagree. Yeah. I would give this one probably four out of seven Anna skins. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think the critics are, are I, I, as we've been talking about this, I can kind of understand where critics rating comes from, um, where you're talking about those little things like where the acting seems a little bit stilted, that type of thing. Let's face it. Critics don't like horror films, period. And they don't like video game movies, period. That's true. Good luck finding ones that have good ratings. And when they do, it's the exorcist and good luck matching that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's some of the things they miss. Like one thing I noticed, um, is, uh, Rose's outfit at the start of the movie started, uh, kind of like gray and blonde. And yeah. over the course of the entire movie, it progressively became more bleached and then more red to the point that it was crimson. Yeah. And, um, you might not have even noticed in the in the watch through. I know in the first watch through I did years ago, mind you. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have remembered that. Yeah. Um, but I I did notice that in this. I I noticed that in this watch through because I knew of it, so I was actively looking for it. Um, my only thing about about that like uh, the production on that apparently they had like 200 different outfits oh, like geez. they literally made it so it's so it would flow like that um essentially uh basically she changed each scene yeah a little bit more um i love that attention to detail i wish there was something tied to it more symbolically or maybe there isn't i'm just not seeing what it's supposed to be representing you're you're probably just like not projecting a, a plot point onto it um like she she did come into it with pure motives of saving her child yeah. to the end point of by any means necessary even if it means spilling blood like two minutes of conversation okay. you and i could rationalize it i yeah. i i, I don't expect that it would be hard to do so um yeah. but without the director actually saying this is why we made the choice we'd probably yeah. just be projecting something onto it yeah and and and, I, and that's exactly it I, I could project things onto it um whereas when i think of a a similar obviously not as done not done in the same way but um i think of star wars and with luke um you know, he he goes from the when he, he when he does kind of struggle in like Jedi and, and Empire, you know, he's wearing the all black. But at the end, when he saves his when he saves Vader, um, it it opens up a little bit to show white, right? Like, I mean, and, this... and that was uh, so. This... So that, that I'm, I'm I'm saying that that's why I'm trying to wonder what like, and that was supposed to be a showing of he hasn't gone to the dark side. But he, um, and so I want to see something like that in there, in, in Silent Hill. I, and I mean, he said that could be a good rationalization for it, but mm. that's all it is. That's yeah, so we're just rationalizing. Yeah. I'll yeah. tell you one thing I did notice, and it was a callback um, 
You, you probably noticed it. You might have dismissed it, but the callback, I actually wrote it in my notes specifically because I liked it. Um, so you started the... Um, near the beginning of the movie, there was the scene at the tree where they kind of had a nap. They were like cuddling at the tree. And then at the end of the movie, during the church massacre, while she was protecting Sharon, getting her to close her eyes, um, they also woke in a similar manner, in a similar position to that original scene. And that was a nice little callback, a start and a finish to the film. Um it it puts some some really nice bookends on it um i know i remember you said you said there was a few things was it regarding christopher that you wanted to speak of so so yeah we 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 kind of moved away away from this so um again i think a lot of the story choices and i said this earlier a lot of the story choices are broken because of the scenes with Christopher there. Mm. Um, and, you know, you compare it to the game, it, it's essentially the same the same story as the game without needing those filler bits in there. Yeah. Um, there's actually a fan edit of this that cuts out pretty much all of his scenes. Well, I mean, you don't, you don't really need them. You can replace, like, I love Sean Bean. But yeah. you could have replaced his character with two lines of dialogue. <laughs> well, and that's originally what it was. Right at the beginning, right at the end. Yep. Right? It fixes a lot of the plot holes that are there. Um, or plot contrivances, I guess, is a better term. Like, yeah. why are you going to town this morning? Um, the only benefit that I see to Chris's scenes um, was when I was when I was talking to to my mother about this afterwards, she um she said she liked his scenes, um, and not necessarily from the story points, but it helped her understand what the worlds were. It it helped her see, here's the real world, here's the ash world, here's the dark world. It it let her know that it was the ash world wasn't I did the real world. I did like um, some of the juxtaposition that they did, specifically in the school scenes between the Ash world and the Dark world, and then they had the parallel of the real world while they were searching the police officer and Christopher alongside it. Like, same place, but they can't meet each other. I did enjoy that thematically. Yeah. Um, I think it's... I'm trying to think. I enjoyed things like that, but I still think it could have been done without the use of the Christopher um, character. Yeah. And I'm try- I believe the they were trying to use him as the trope. I believe it might be called the Cabbage Head. The the character that everything is explained to as a way to express a complicated concept to the viewer. Yeah. Um, so you tell that character in the film this so that um, the viewer will know what's going on. Um, but it was, still wasn't needed. Again, two lines of yeah. dialogue. That fan edit would, probably would have been fine. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. Like, the bits that are there, sure, it explains stuff, but it didn't actually, but it didn't explain stuff at the same time. It's like, okay, so we knew, we knew where she was adopted from, right? But I mean, we see that in a flashback. Yeah. We, like, all of that was there, okay? Do we need to know that Sybil was, is a good cop? Like, we can see that through her actions. We don't need this stuff being explained. The stuff it explained was so extraneous. It it was he was at him and the the cop that he's essentially with. I swear they were literally there to do an anti to do a reverse Bechtel test. Hmm. What's <laughs> and that? that's exactly how um the Bechtel test is um it's um the concept that a movie passes the Bechtel test if it has two female characters that are named that talk to each other about something other than a, a male character. Okay. Well, I mean, Silent Hill and, and that's certainly beat that. Yeah. But he's, but him and the cop are literally there. And we know this through, um, through what they've told us about the rewrites. He was literally there to be an anti to be a reverse Bechtel test, not an anti Bechtel test. Oh no! There's only female characters. Let's have two male characters in the movie talking to each other, and it's not. I, I'm. It's not needed. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't think their presence are needed at all. I, I did like the character inclusion of the, specifically of the, uh, detective and the nun. Hmm. But even then, it it really wasn't needed. I I'm really curious as to what the original um, director and writer script of this would have been. Um, and I mean, no no harshness to Sean Bean, like great actor, yeah. do tons of stuff. Um, I didn't die. <laughs> well, I mean, like we died inside when we saw his character doing things. <laughs> his character was useless. And that's Sean not Sean Beans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm actually sad now that I, I realize that there's a role where Sean Bean didn't die. Yep. I mean, in the end, he was definitely, the character was definitely dead inside, lost his kid. Yeah. I mean, I imagine drinking and suicide was all that was left. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Yeah, it. I get it. And I mean, I think from fans, from everything I've heard from actual fans, Sean Bean is like Christopher's inclusion is the weak point. Yeah, and that that's pretty much across the board. I think that's why there's that fan edit. Well, I mean, <laughs> I I would only disagree because I found Sharon so abrasive and annoying, and like. Yeah. It's it's one of those <sighs> PSA never strike a child in anger <laughs> like seriously but um it, it's one of those children that you'd be standing there and you'd be like I just really want to backhand you <laughs> you I'm coming yeah. off as a terrible person but you know you you've thought about that. <laughs> you know honestly um luckily we don't see Sharon so much 
most of her interactions with her is Alessa and Dark Alessa. Um, and so, I, I and that could be part of it too, like with, with Sharon. Like, I understand you saying that. It's, you see so little Sharon that that's all they can do. And I think it's going to make you feel somewhat sympathetic. They're trying to make her a puppy. Mm. Absolutely needs to be taken care of. So if anything's happening to her, you're going to be get that extra nerve built up around it. I don't just, um, but you you compare that to like, I mean, John Wick's puppy died, and I was devastated. And then I immediately justified everything that John Wick did to everybody for three films. But yep. like Sharon, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. I was, I was more like, you know what, give me more Dark Alessa. Yeah. No, I I don't disagree with you. Um, some of this is just kind of that justification. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, like, I think, I think I've, I saw some critics, like, complaining about uh, Fairland's, Fairland's role. And mm. I honestly think most of that's just, for some reason, they're just thinking Sharon. They're not thinking Alessa. They're not thinking Dark Alessa. Oh, if, like... I mean, I'm pretty sure original Lessa only had like two lines or three lines, maybe, but yeah. they were infinitely better than anything that came out of Sharon's mouth. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> this this is how you know you're convincing. Like again, I don't like ch child actors, yeah, and actresses, and I am differentiating between the three characters that this child <laughs> actress portrayed, yeah, and like. Um, and I mean, I've I've watched The Boy too, because a, a friend of <laughs> mine like my a friend of mine worked on that production. I watched The Boy too, and I'm okay. like, all I did was like child actors. <laughs> um, and there's some good ones. I'm just saying, you know, Macaulay Culkin hands to the face, you know, ah, uh, you know, singing in the shower whatever and, and let's face it, it's a general thing for the most part child actors aren't very good everyone knows this child actors i mean they don't have the experience and i mean as you said i think keeping in mind that most child actors are sharon's yeah the roles right. are generally yeah that's actually yeah. a really good point if i were to go back and watch a lot of these movies which i'm not going to because again <laughs> uh, just backhand them. Um, I am wondering, with that newfound perspective that you have enlightened me to, whether I'd be like, "Oh no, it was just the writing." Mm -hmm. They they created a Sharon, and this is this is the new trope that I'm creating at this moment in time, is a specific type of child role that is somehow super annoying and the over exaggeration of what that child is supposed to be yeah yeah is 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 now called a sharon you've heard it yeah. here first beardy <laughs> and the beast um you know subscribe follow upvote i don't even care stuff. about those just just i'm telling you just share it if you like it share it yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I, I, I really think that it is because, yeah. Um, yes, share. 
Don't be a don't be a sharer. <laughs> <laughs> don't be a sharer. Be a sharer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never saying that again. Until that the is... trope comes up. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> you, if you have me watching more films, which I... you've already haunted me with Sybil's death for the second time. I'm pretty sure seeing Silent Hill was probably your your uh your idea in the first place you were probably like oh my name is devin we should go watch silent hill because we're buddies yeah probably <laughs> you sounded exactly like that 100 percent those words i have it on recording uh, so you had a you had another point um for this film um so the other thing that i want to talk about and you kind of touched base on this earlier as well um is um introduction to a franchise mm. um, I, I i do believe that um it, it's definitely one of those big things in, in watching a movie from that standpoint and such um this is one of those films that it's i think harder for us to to look at it that way i mean we, we brought up several points where things like the foreshadowing and stuff you can't appreciate in the same way because we know that um when i watched this last night with my mom for the first time um she was engaged the entire time she ended up staying up late to watch it um even when i got home tonight she's like no that movie haunted me like mm. i'm still thinking about that movie um and um one of the youtube channels that i watch um she she does um uh, gaming symbolism mm. um specifically around horror games and such okay um you know she's done toxic conventions talking about um you know the history of resident evil and clock tower and, and silent mm -hmm. hill and such and this movie was her introduction into silent hill and her channel is literally analyzing silent hill games so like... i think this actually does very well um at introducing people without and I would have never known that. I just happened to listen to a video by her yesterday or uh, two days ago where she said that, no, Silent Hill, the movie, was my introduction to Silent Hill as she was giving a talk about Silent Hill at a convention. I, this, is, this is a very good thing. Like, I, I appreciate you having mentioned this. It's something that I wouldn't have thought immediately. Um, kind of a peek behind the curtain for anyone listening right now. The way that we um discussed before doing any of this um the way that we analyze movie movies um or any piece of media is enjoyment as a whole and um encounter to that enjoyment as a part so right now i'm trying to balance the two however um what devin is bringing up is enjoyment as a part that is essentially how well the piece stands as an adaptation and the fact that this youtuber um and feel free to like give them a direct shout out because they sound yeah, all right yeah. Yeah, um, the gaming music channel awesome um yeah. i would say if i were to know nothing of the um early 2000s uh third person horror inventory management style game um if I had watched the movie, I probably would have been like, oh, there's a game series? Let me give that a try. Because I did enjoy things that were uh, within the movie. That is, thematically, 
um, juxtaposition um, between the Ash world and the Dark world, um, the switching between the two, the various like uh, religious elements and that sort of thing. You'll find these sort of things within the game, and I definitely would have searched it from there. So that's a really good point to kind of this as a part or being um have some type of universal consistency something that is part of the series as a whole a hundred percent that mm, maybe not a hundred percent i would give this six out of seven anna skins um but i mean that's still only uh that's still six out of seven yeah i i do agree and I've said this before, even in, in this recording, that this is the best video game movie to have, to have been created thus far. Um, and that is because it's doing justice to the video game series. Like, they stayed true to it. Yeah. Um, so someone who watches this watches this movie will be more likely to enjoy those video games which um objectively for a non-gamer if you don't mind the horror aspects would be a very good entry point into yeah. gaming itself yeah and you can't say that about most game movies no <laughs> like um, most game movies if you if you go to Res if you watch resident evil you're not getting the same thing if you go to play the game because you're interested in it no Resident Evil is I want to see, you know, um, a BA chick just totally like kicking zombies' heads in and shooting shotguns and doing backflips. Yeah. Whereas the game is like, you have a clip of six bullets survive. Yeah. Um, this it definitely translated better into the Silent Hill, um, movie. And yeah. again, this comes back to one of our very original points, and it's that the director, and I believe I've mispronounced his name several times, it's actually Christoph, um, Christoph Gans. Um, I think you're safe. You've been calling him by his last name. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to give a shout out. If you want to check out any of his other movies, Brotherhood of the Wolf is actually pretty good. I have a buddy in high school anyways. He was obsessed with this movie, and I don't know why. Um. <laughs> I would also say check out um, any any of these actors and actresses' films, especially uh, Jadel Furland, Alice um, Krieg, uh, Deborah Kara mm -hmm. Unger, and Radha Mitchell. Everybody knows Sean Bean, and I don't believe I've seen Laurie Holden. Um, yeah, I can't remember anything offhand. Uh, apparently The Walking Dead. <laughs> I never actually watched it. <laughs> Neither did I, which is funny considering I was collecting their comics for a while. Yep. And I'm pretty sure I gave them to you or somebody. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um anyway, so yeah. let's let's give us the the old wrap wrap up. Thank yeah. you so much um for listening to this entire podcast if you've gotten to this point. Um this has been the Beardy and the Beast um, podcast. We are, again, a media club where we have full spoilers. We don't have a no-spoiler policy. It is all spoilers. <laughs> if you've gotten to this point and you're screaming spoilers, you should have just 
paused, watch the movie, <laughs> and then come back and listen to us. Yep. Um, again, we will be available on most any platforms, including tons of alt text stuff. Um, I mean, you can rank us, follow us. That's super cool. But honestly, if you like what we do, just share us uh, with friends and family. If you don't like what we do, share us with your enemies. Subject, <laughs> subject them to us. That is fine. They probably like us anyways because they're the other. Um, <laughs> again, just my, yeah, just to be contrary. My, my name is Drew, and of course, I was joined by my dark double, Devin, um, who's a witch. <laughs> a sinner I'm burning <laughs> I'm burning <laughs> um, in the future um, after we have a selection of these going um, at the end we will be calling out the next film that we'll be watching so that you can watch and then be prepared for the next release um, uh, however we're recording several of these at a time before we start actually releasing these to the world so we look forward to um, your attendance to our media club in the future. <laughs>